The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. To learn more about our church, please visit our website at www.gracefcwesterville.org. I always appreciate when my wife sings before I preach. Thank you, Judy. Good morning, everyone. Good to see everyone today. Mercy said no. I'm so grateful that Mercy said no. I don't know where I'd be if Mercy did not say no, if not for the grace of God. Where would I be today? I have no idea. I would not be here, but I'm so grateful to be here because Mercy said no. Let's go to prayer. Heavenly Father, we're so grateful to you for your son, Jesus Christ who, because of your great love, gave his life on the cross, that we who have put our faith and trust in him may not die, but have everlasting life. You suffered greatly for us, Lord Jesus, and today as we partake of the Lord's Supper, we remember what you did on the cross for us. Now, thank you for all who are here today, dear God. We just want to thank you for every soul. Someone today has come here today, Lord, hurting in their hearts, broken in a family situation, a health situation, a financial situation. But Lord God, you are the cure for all that ails our world today. You are the one who bridges that great divide, who gives us life, gives us life eternal abundantly, Lord. Remember the families, Lord, who are suffering now for the recent shootings in Texas. Be with the families, Lord, of the wounded, those who have died, Lord. May this be a time when they press into you and come to you for comfort and for healing. So I pray for healing in that city, in that state, Lord, and all across our country where these um, situations have arisen, Lord, because of the great evil that's in our world today. So now, Lord, as I begin to bring your word today, be with me, I pray. Let me diminish it. You may increase, Lord. Let the words I speak be your words. Let each person in the hearing will be blessed. Maybe receive something today. will take the, make them stronger for the walk tomorrow. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. My message today is entitled, Addicted to Likes. The Crave for Acceptance in a World Gone Mad. The title is a little provocative. But I pray the message will be received in a way that will be transforming and eye-opening in some ways. I thought I got this idea, addicted to life. The Lord gave me this topic about a year ago. And I thought I was the first one to think about this. But I began to do some Google search, research on this. And um, there are 65,500,000 hits for this topic. So somehow that must be true. I thought I came up with this. I did not. In fact, I found three articles here. One is called The Psychology of Being Liked on Social Media. The other is Craving for Likes. Is it a social media addiction? And the other is Addicted to Likes, the madness behind social media metrics. I was onto something. Who knew? Uh, but social media, as you can see from your handout today, dominates our culture. Facebook, 
Instagram, Tumblr, Pinterest. I don't know them all. I'm not an expert in this field, but it's what's in our world today. And I only know about them peripherally. I'm no expert by any means. But these situations, these media have fundamentally transformed our culture in ways that we have no idea. Back in the day when you wanted to give the editor the piece of your mind by reading the newspaper, New York Times, Dispatch, you got a letter out, got your paper out, wrote a letter, mailed it in the mail to them. There. <laughs> Today, online, you can just register your complaint, register your likes or dislikes for what someone wrote. And then we come back to see if someone liked our comment, right? Have you know what I'm talking about? We, we, we want to be affirmed. We want to feel significant and important. And social media latched onto something. There's a deep need in each of our hearts to be accepted. And they have found that by giving us this like button, we can come back and see how many fans, how many followers we have acquired from that post. And uh, people are doing strange things to be liked online, things they would not ordinarily do. That's the day and age that we're living right now. And what does that mean for the gospel? Because Satan is the prince of the air. He controls the airwaves. He controls the media. And uh, the Christian message is increasingly marginalized. Where once we were respected, the church was respected, we were, being, were now being pushed into the closet in the background. The Christian message is not welcomed anymore. Because people are addicted to likes. Look at the uh, first screenshot there. You'll see, go back to that first screen uh, there, uh, Katrina. You'll see a few images there. The middle one says, I'm better than you because my Instagram pics got 100 likes. <laughs> Oprah in the upper right-hand corner, you got more followers, you got more followers, more followers for everybody. And the guy up in the upper left-hand corner will work for likes. These out there, folks. <laughs> I had to make this up. <laughs> All right, so just want to read what I wrote here in my, uh, your handout. This is nothing new. From the beginning of time, a spiritual battle has raged for the hearts, the minds, and souls of men. The human being. You and I were created and designed to function best in community and in relationship with God our Maker. And as you see, the social media has fundamentally transformed the way we connect, communicate, and find significance in our lives. It dominates almost every aspect of our lives today. And while this generation is more connected, than at any time in history, never have we been more disconnected in our search for happiness, love, and acceptance. The devil knows that we need significance. My text, before I go into my text today, I want to just have you look at this graphic here. And I ask you a question today, Grace Fellowship. How does one cook a live frog? And what has it got to do with the gospel? Well, there are two ways to cook a frog. You can put a pot of water to boil and then throw them in. Any smart frog will jump out <laughs> instantly. The other way, which is more effective, is to 
put him in a pot of nice, cool, comfortable water. And then slowly turn the flame up. And as the water gets warmer and warmer, his body adjusts and he will not know he's being cooked alive. Why is that important today? Because our country is undergoing such a situation. Indeed, the entire world is undergoing such a situation. Now, this is a metaphor. Uh, the pot represents the world that we live in, the grand world that we live in, all the countries, all the nations, all the tribes. The water represents the environment in which we live. Now, God desires peace in our hearts with ourselves, in our families, in our communities, in our world, in our country. God desires peace. The water environment, the environment represents that which we live in. The hand on the temperature control knob represents powers that exert control over individuals and society. Example, Satan the devil. For Ephesians says, we rest not against flesh and blood, but against powers, principalities, spiritual wickedness in high places. The flames represent introduction of crises or the chipping away of societal values. Someone once said, never let a good crisis go to waste to achieve and further our agenda for world domination, totalitarian control. The frog represents us. <laughs> represents humanity. You see, Satan desires to cook us alive, separate us, separate us from our maker, to kill and to destroy. That's, that's his chief aim. The prayer for acceptance in a world gone mad. Who would ever think that we come to a day and age where I could stand here and say to you, I'm a six-foot-tall Asian woman, and I identify a six-foot-tall Asian woman. <laughs> and you better believe me and go with me unless you lose your job. If you don't identify with me and affirm me in that delusion, you can lose your job <laughs> or your family. And it has, it's happening already, believe it or not. I don't have to go into all the details. You can search it on the internet and see it for yourself. But social media has found a way to tap into our need for significance. Let's go to our text for the day, found in Genesis chapter 4. Addicted to likes, the crave for acceptance in the world gone mad. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was the tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance, his face fell. Verse 6. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and its desires for you, but you should rule over it. We see in this passage 
that these two young men brought an offering to the Lord. An offering is an act of worship. You see, God, our maker, is worthy of our worship. He's worthy of our praise. For he has made us and not we ourselves. So we're designed for worship. And we see here in the process of time it came that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. And Abel also brought of, his, of their fat. But why is it that God accepted Abel but not Cain's? Some say it's because Cain's offering was of fruit and of vegetables and not of a blood of sheep and the fat. But some may say it's because of Cain's attitude. He offered his offering the leftover of his field. But Abel brought an excellent, the firstborn of his flock, the best that he had to offer. And God gave us the best that he had to offer on the cross. So Abel was righteous and Cain was not. You may know that Cain's name means possessed. You see, God gave him a chance at grace to do well. But Cain chose to embrace the evil that lurked outside his heart and gave into it, which led to the murder of his brother, Abel. We know the story, don't we? We're made to worship. Look at Luke with me in Luke chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Jesus, having been baptized by John the Baptist, was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. The first temptation, then the devil, taking him, Jesus, up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory. Huh. For this has been delivered to me in the garden, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, him only shall you serve. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon wrote these words. Solomon being the wisest man who ever lived, who had many concubines, many wives. He indulged all of his pleasures. Everything that came to his heart, he did. He gained wisdom from these experiences. However, at the end, he said, all is vanity. It's for nothing. I've indulged every passion of my heart, but I just feel empty and vain. Here's what he said finally. Let us hear the conclusion after all that's been said and done of the whole matter. Fear God, reverence God, keep his commandments. For this is man's all. That's why we were made. Going to Matthew. Continuing worship and keeping God's commandments. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, Jesus, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. They were always testing Jesus to trip him up. And saying, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Verse 37, Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first 
and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. What kind of world would this be if we did that? If everyone in the entire world did that. Love God, their maker, the true God. Not a false God. The true God, the maker of all things. And then love thy neighbor as ourselves. What kind of world would this be? There would be peace, would there not? There would be love. There would be harmony if we did those two things. But we live in a world today that is increasingly trying to erase God from society. The true God, not false gods. They want to erase Jesus Christ from society. Islam is fine. Buddhism is fine. All the religions are fine, but not Judeo-Christian beliefs. There is a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of each man, Pascal said, which cannot be satisfied by any creative thing, but only by God the Creator, made known through Jesus Christ His Son. Blaise Pascal said that. So in each of our hearts, there's a God-shaped void. And until that void is filled by God, we're empty, and we flounder, and we're broken, and we chase after the wind. Things that might, we think will make us happy. We're designed for worship. Here's a few points that I put together that might give you an idea how we might achieve that. We're designed for worship. A, how do we worship God? By spending time with him in prayer, number one. Number two, we worship God by reading and studying his word. All the answers to life's issues are in this book. This is the manual for life. If we will read and eat this book on a regular basis, our souls will be nourished. If we don't read and eat this book on a regular basis, our souls will be malnourished, and we die on the vine. Amen? If you're not reading your book, your word, I encourage you to pick this up and carve out some time every day to read a passage or two. So we worship God by reading and studying his word. Let us see. We worship God by obeying and living our lives according to his word. Indeed, God has said. In the beginning, Satan tempted Eve by saying, Has God said you shall not eat from every tree in the garden? Yeah, God did say don't eat from every tree in the garden. Because in the day of evil, you should surely die. And then Satan said, You should not surely die. But God knows in the day of evil, you should be like God knowing, not, knowing good and evil. Letter D. We worship God by giving him our time, our talent, and our treasure. We see from this that Abel gave his best because he brought forth the firstborn of his flock, the very best, and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering. Man was designed to be in community. We're not designed to be hermits living off the grid. Then God said, let us make man in our image, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. According to our likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Notice that God said, let us make a man in our image. Who is God talking to in that, in that, in that sentence? He's talking to God, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is present right here. The community that existed from, from all, all times, from everlasting to everlasting. The Trinity existed from the everlasting. Jesus from the everlasting. He's Alpha and the Omega. Let us make man in our image. 
in our likeness. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And it was designed for worship. Today, the world is telling us that there are 57 genders. There are only two genders, brothers and sisters. There are male and female. How do I know this? The Bible tells me so. So this is one way that Satan will confuse and divide the world by having us believe a lie. Now, as Christians, we're sensitive to those who struggle with same-sex attraction. We're sensitive to those who have these issues in their lives. We love them because God loves them. And we desire that God would get a hold of their hearts and help them and heal them in their hearts. The devil seeks to heal and destroy. We're designed to be in relationship. Genesis 2, 1, 2.18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper comparable to him. You see, God made everything in six days. And after every day, he said it was very good. After day one, it is very it is good. It is good. It is good. After day six, it is very good. But now God said it is not good that man should be alone. I'll make him a helper compared to him. I'm not sure what I'd do without my wife. Married 32 years. When she goes away for a visit for a couple of days, I miss her. Who would I be without her? And imagine those who have loved ones feel the same way. But also, those who don't have a loved one, those who are hurting for those that, who are lonely right now, God is there as, your, as one who can comfort you and be with you. You see, we make a mistake by thinking that we need someone to complete us. All we need is God to complete us. <laughs> but it's helpful to have someone in our lives who will be there for us. Genesis chapter 2, verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs, closed up the flesh of it in his place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. He brought her to the man. Verse 23. And Adam said, this is not bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Which came first? The man came first. Which came first? Chicken of the egg? The chicken came first. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. I have a graphic there which shows you the family tree, our family tree. It's hard for, the word's very small, but it's hard to see. That's Adam and Eve right there, and then Cain, and then Seth. Cain and Abel, and then Seth. All the way down to the nations. The flood took place here because evil after sin came on the earth. Sin and violence filled the earth. And God had to get rid of that evil. He did that by the flood right here. And then Noah and his family survived. So all of us today in this room, across the entire world, are grandsons of Noah. Every one of us in this room. We come from one race. There's no black race. 
There's no white race, no Chinese race, no Jewish race, no Latino race. There's one race, the human race. And I'm happy to be part of the human race. So we came from Noah, all of us. And you can see there's Ham, Shem, and Japheth. The European nations, the Japheth, African nations through Ham, and the Abrahamic to Abraham through the uh, Jews and the Arabs through here. Did you know that? I love that little mini AOC. Did you know that? <laughs> I love mini AOC. I think they took her off there because she was um, cracking a chord with the real AOC. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works in community, relationship, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. We need each other in community. And Peter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9 said, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own personal people, special people, that you may proclaim the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. As Judy sang, mercy said no. Darkness tried to steal my heart away, but mercy said no. And thank God mercy said no. Satan has devised a strategy for us. Paul Harvey wrote, uh, gave a broadcast back in 1965. Satan has devised a strategy for the world. Here's what Paul Harvey said in 1965. Fifty-five some odd years ago. Many of his statements were considered then outlandish and ridiculous. Here's what Paul said. If I were the devil, if I were the prince of darkness, I'd want to engulf the whole world in darkness. And I'd have a third of its real estate and four-fifths of its population. But I wouldn't be happy until I had seized the ripest apple on the tree, the. So I'd set about, however necessary, to take over the United States. I'd subvert the churches first. I'd begin with a campaign of whispering. With the wisdom of the serpent, I would whisper to you as I whispered to Eve, do as you please. Do as you please. To the young, I would whisper that the Bible is a myth. I would convince them that man created God instead of the other way around. I would confide that what's bad is good, what's good is square. And the old, I would teach to pray after me, our Father, which art in Washington, D.C. And then I'd get organized. I'd educate authors on how to make lurid literature exciting, a la Fifty Shades of Grey, so that anything else would appear dull and uninteresting. I'd threaten TV with dirtier movies and vice versa. I'd peddle narcotics to whom I could. I'd sell alcohol to ladies and gentlemen of distinction. I'd tranquilize the rest with pills. Opioid epidemic, can we say? If I were the devil, I'd soon have families that war with themselves, churches at war with themselves, and nations at war with themselves, until each in its turn was consumed and destroyed. And with promises of higher ratings, 
I'd have mesmerizing media fanning the flames. If I were the devil, I would encourage schools to refine their intellects, but neglect to dis discipline emotions. Just let those run wild, until before you knew it, you'd have to have drug-sniffing dogs and metal detectors at every schoolhouse door. 1965. Within a decade, I'd have prisons overflowing. I'd have judges promoting pornography. Soon I could evict God from the courthouse, then from the schoolhouse. It took prayer out of school. And then from the House of Congress. And then his own churches, in his, God's own churches, I would substitute psychology for religion and deify science. I would lure priests and pastors into misusing boys and girls and church money. If I were the devil, I'd make the symbols of Easter an egg and the symbol of Christmas a bottle. If I were the devil, I'd take from those who have and give to those who wanted until I had killed the incentive of, them, of, of the ambitious. And what do you bet? I couldn't get whole states to promote gambling as a way to get rich. I would caution against extremes and hard work. Patriotism. In patriotism, in moral conduct, I would, con I would convince the young that marriage is old-fashioned, that swinging is more fun, otherwise hooking up. And what you see on TV is the way to be. Now we have life imitating art. And thus, I could undress you in public, and I could lure you into bed with diseases for which there is no cure. AIDS came on in the 80s, 1965. In other words, if I were the devil, I'd just keep on doing what he's doing. Paul Harvey, have a good day. <laughs> That's what Paul Harvey said. So Satan has divided the strategy. For conquering the world. He accomplished that in the garden. He is the vilest strategy for conquering America. Let me read this to you. This is in the Congressional Record, 1963. I've picked a few of these. This is the 45 communist goals to take over America. I want to highlight a few because we got, our time is short. Here's a few of them. Number 11. Promote the UN as the only hope for mankind. In its charter, if, if its charter is rewritten, demand that it be set up as a one world government with its own independent armed forces. Number 12, resist any attempt to outlaw the Communist Party. What do we hear today now, now, press? Bernie Sanders, Alexandria Castro Cortez, socialism rising. Do we not hear that in our, in our day? Number 15, Capture one or both of the political parties in the United States. Number, number 15, capture one or both the political parties in the United States. Number 17, get control of the schools. Use them as transition belts for socialism and current communist propaganda. Soften the curriculum. Get control of teachers' unions. Put the party line in textbooks. 18, gain control of all student newspapers. Number 19, use student riots to foment public protest against programs or organizations which are under communist attack. Number 20, infiltrate the press. Get control of book review assignments, editorial writing, policy making positions. 
Number 21, gain control of key positions in radio, TV, and, and uh, motion pictures, Hollywood. Jump down to number 22, continue discrediting American culture by degrading all forms of artistic expression. Number 24, eliminate all laws governing obscenity by calling them censorship and a violation of free speech rights. Number 25, break down cultural standards of morality by promoting pornography and obscenity in books, magazines, motion pictures, radio and TV. Fifty Shades of Grey, anyone? Number 27, infiltrate the churches and replace, reveal religion with social religion, social gospel. Discredit the Bible, emphasize the need for intellectual maturity, which does not need a religious crutch. Number 28, eliminate prayer or any phase of religious expression in the schools on the ground that it would violate the principle of separation of church and state. Islam is okay, however. Have you not noticed? Discredit the American Constitution, number 29, by calling it inadequate, old-fashioned, out of step with modern needs, hindrance to cooperation between nations. Number 30, discredit the American founding fathers, present them as selfish aristocrats who had no concern for the common man, and they were slave owners. Number 31, belittle all forms of American culture, discourage the teaching of American history on the ground that was only a minor part of, a, of the big picture. Number 32, support any socialist movement to give centralized control over any part of the culture, education, social sciences, welfare programs. Number 36, infiltrate, gain control of more unions. Number 37, infiltrate and gain control of big business, Apple, Google, Facebook, YouTube. Number 39, dominate the psychiatric profession. Use mental health laws as a means of gaining coercive control over those who oppose communist goals. Now when they have the mass shooting, it's mental illness. Folks, it's just sin. <laughs> it's just sin. Plain old-fashioned sin. When someone shoots up a, a school or a movie theater or anywhere, it's just sin. Number 41, emphasize the need to raise children away from their negative influence of their parents. Attribute prejudices, mental blocks, retarding of children to suppressive influence of parents. And finally, number 42, create the impression that violence and, and insurrection are legitimate aspects of the American tradition, that students or special interest groups should rise up and use united force to solve economic, political, and social problems. Can you say Antifa? Can you say BLM and BDS? My time is short. Say he's devised a strategy for conquering the church, your family, and our children. But Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And folks, that's what this is all about being saved. Jesus came to give his life on the cross that we may be saved and live with him eternally in heaven. Those who are not saved will not go to heaven to be with him. So here's what Satan does. Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. We'll go in and out and find pasture. 
that verse 10, the thief, the devil, does not come except to steal and kill and to destroy. We see in our world today, they have the ideological divide. Those who support death, those who support life. Those who support life are vilified and denigrated. Those who support death are promoted and uh, celebrated. Do you not find that to be true? I have come that they may have life, Jesus said, and that they may have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. That's why he came. Finally, in my last point, man must decide whom he will serve. The great prophet Bob Dylan said in his song, you got to serve somebody. Here are the few lines from one of his songs. You may be an ambassador to England or France. You may like to gamble. You might like to dance. You may be the heavyweight champion of the world. You may be a socialite, a long string of pearls. But you're going to have to serve somebody. You indeed, you're going to have to serve somebody. It may be the devil, it may be the Lord, but you're going to serve somebody. <laughs> James says in James 1.4, Now, social media is dividing us from one another. To be liked online, people are liking posts that persecute Christians. They're liking posts that vilify God, that dismiss God. So here's what James says. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, when God indwells you, he's a jealous God. Are there idols in our lives we need to get rid of? Are there idols that we need to consider getting out of our lives? Social media may be one of those. I'm not here to denigrate social media. I just think that human beings have a great capacity to turn what's good into evil. <laughs> Never underestimate my capacity to do that. Exodus chapter 9, verse 1. We've got to serve somebody. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and tell him, Thus says the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. Joshua chapter 24, verse 14. Now therefore fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river, Jordan, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can you say today that you will serve the Lord? We've got a choice to make. Jesus in Matthew says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. They immediately let their nets and followed him. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We live in a world today in social media where Kim Kardashian, Taylor Swift, Kanye West, all have followers. Donald Trump has followers. 65 million followers on Twitter. And with the more followers you have, the more significant you feel. 
more important you feel. So instead of following Jesus, Satan has used social media to have us following others. And we have no time for God. What happens when we meet our maker and we've not invested any time in him or followed the world? Again, we're a friend of the world. We're not a friend of God. Matthew chapter 10. Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I will also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. John 14, 6. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not through the Christian religion, not through Catholicism, not through being a good person, but through Jesus Christ, who gave his life on the cross for sinners, that we may, be, we may live eternally with him in heaven. Almost done. Matthew 25. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Now, our world is divided right now into left and right. It really is divided into the saved and the unsaved, the lost and the saved. So what, what, what do we see here? Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. All the nations will be gathered before him. Jesus speaking, and he will separate them one from another, and the shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, verse 33, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the beginning of the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me, verse 36. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Now keep in mind that these things don't save you. Only faith and trust in Jesus Christ will save you. Now we save unto good works, not by works. We save unto good works. When we save, we want to do these things, to honor our God, to serve our God by serving others. Amen? Verse 41. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, the left hand, the left hand, depart from me. You cursed into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in. Naked, you did not clothe me. Sick, in prison, you did not visit me. Again, works do not save you. You have a lot of very moral people who are very lost. Very moral people who actually do these things. Who visit the sick, but they don't have a relationship with God. No relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, in closing, this is a poem that I came across several years ago. It was found on the body of a young soldier who was killed in action during World War I. It's called A Soldier's Prayer. With this I close. Look, God, I have never spoken to you before, but now I want to say, how do you do? You see, God, they told me you didn't exist. And like a fool, I believed all this. Last night, from a shell hole, I saw your sky. I figured right then and there they told me a lie. Had I taken the time to see things you made, I'd have known they weren't calling a spade a spade. I wonder, God, if you'd shake my hand. Somehow I feel that you'd understand. Funny, I had to come to this hellish place before I had time to see your face. Well, I guess there is much more to say. But I'm sure, God, I met you today. I guess the zero hour will soon be here. But I'm not afraid since I know you're here. The signal 
Well, God, I've got to go. I like you lots, this I want you to know. Look now, this will be a horrible fight. Who knows, I may come to your house tonight. Though I wasn't friendly to you before, I wonder, God, if you'd wait at your door. Look, I'm crying, me shedding tears. I wish I had known you these many years. Well, I've got to go now, God. Goodbye. Since I met you, I'm not afraid to die. I pray that this is your story today. And if it's not, may today be the day that you say yes to Jesus. If you remember nothing I've said today, remember this. Jesus Christ is the solution for everything that ails our word, our world. Jesus Christ is the only person that can bridge every divide. Because in Christ, we're one. There's no more black or white, slave or free, rich or poor, Jew or Gentile. All in Christ are one. Close in prayer. Father, I want to thank you today, Lord, for your word. Your word that became flesh and dwelt among us, your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that because of love, you took off your robes in glory and came down to be like one of us. Now, Lord, someone today may be hurting in their heart, Lord. Maybe a broken family situation, Lord. Maybe they need to know that you love and care for them, Lord. Maybe they need to know that they have a future, that today may be dark and bleak, and the devil may be having them distracted with all situations and circumstances, but Lord, you are there, you're near, and you care. So Lord, I pray that you bring about healing today, Lord, and those in our body and in the world, Lord, who are hurting, who are broken in their family, in their finances, in their bodies, Lord. Bring about the only healing that you can bring, my God. Now, Lord, as we prepare to go to the table, may we remember that you gave your life for us. You suffered, bled, and died and took the penalty that we deserved in your body. Now, we put our faith and trust in you. We confess you as our Savior, and we have eternal life with you in heaven, forever and ever and ever. Amen.